Audio for the Cover Crew Podcast is hosted by Styber Ears. If you ever need to host audio on the internet, whether it be your own podcast or recordings of your church or the place of worship or your business or your club meetings or anything like that, we recommend that you check out Styber Ears where you will get your audio on your terms. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Go, go. to the Coco Crew Podcast, a delicious adventure into the world of retro computing news and information, featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Hey, you got your Coco 3 yet? Coco. Coco Cruisers and Coco Maniacs. <laughs> Welcome to episode 71, actually the 72nd episode of the Coco Crew Podcast. I am, of course, John Linville, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, uh, let's see, Mr. Neil Blanchard. Hello, Neil. Hello, John. And uh, Mr. Mike Rowan. Hello, Mike. Good evening. <laughs> this is our, our full crew this evening. Coming up, time's moving along. Tandy Assembly is now five months away. We at the beginning of October. Coco Fest is now seven months away. Hopped over us, uh, hopped over Tandy Assembly to be farther away. But you know that'll be in November. Very exciting. Who's got something cool they're working on? Anyone doing anything fun or interesting or retro? Yeah, unfortunately, no. I've been too busy with work. Yeah. Yeah, how about you, Neil? What are you building these days? Uh, I just finished another GameStore the other night. Oh, yeah? Nice. Got to get back to the monitor stand project, too. I got three prototypes in the works here. So that's my All next right. thing. Cool. Nice. Very cool. Let's Call see. those Retro Riser. No. Ah. <laughs> good good name. Lifting your stuff or something like that. <laughs> cool. Very good. <laughs> well, what about acquisitions? Anybody bought anything cool lately or found anything or made anything? Just checking my list, and I've got I, pretty uh, much nothing recently. Treasure Island defense game cartridge. Oh, yeah. Nice. Those cool. are cool-looking packages. Yeah, it turned out really nice. It's a very slick. His uh, 3D printing is very nice on it. He's That's definitely a, put a sure. lot of effort and, and work into the, making the nice package there, so... Yeah, it's even a, a slipcase. I've been hoping to yep. see one pop up on eBay, but I haven't seen it yet. That'll be my Same eBay. here. Same <laughs> here. I'm watching for them. I want to get one, too. <laughs> haven't seen one yet. Oh, well. Uh, let's see. Well, hmm. Normally I like to have a big, rousing intro, but <laughs> no, I guess it's springtime. It's been warm outside. and a few things to do. Of course, the past couple of days have been... Suddenly cool again. Hopefully that'll disappear soon. Other than that, uh, I, I did get a book on um, programming for the Intellivision. So I was playing with that a little bit. Ooh. It's, uh, <laughs> pretty kind of a distant hop and skip to get from the Coco to there, but it's something. Um, <laughs> and, and you got the Tandy Vision. Well, it is. You know, there is that. Nothing too exciting there. I may... I may uh, May take some inspiration from the NT Basic at some point, and uh, but 
Again, that would be pre-announcing projects. I don't like to do that at all. Oh well. Well, let's move on and uh, let's give some. Let's get us introduced. <laughs> so the show's already started. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll be back with the announcements. Since 1994, Cloud9 has made cool stuff for your color computer. Now Cloud9 is proud to announce the 2-megabyte Triad Plus memory expansion board. The Triad Plus works in two ways. Purchase just the Triad Plus board to expand your color computer 3 from 128K to 512K of RAM. Or add the new Protector Plus MMU to access the full 2 megabytes of static RAM aboard the Triad Plus. And the Protector Plus MMU utilizes full buffering to protect your CPU. Unlike previous 2 megabyte memory expansions for the Coco 3, the Triad Plus operates seamlessly without the need for special patches, configuration, or workarounds. Games like Donkey Kong Remix and Sierra Adventure games simply work without hassle. And the Triad Plus will reduce your Coco's power consumption and heat generation. The Triad Plus and Protector Plus MMU, only from the innovative engineering of Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. All right, now we're back with the announcements. You are, of course, listening to the Coco Crew Podcast. We are available on Twitter with Twitter handle of at Coco Crew Podcast. That's at sign C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. If you'd like to send tweets, uh, feel free to tweet at us, and uh, we may, or may even tweet back. Uh, let's see, we are on Facebook. We have a page called the Coco Crew Podcast. That's four separate words. Come and uh, join the the fun. Uh, catch a, a little early or side news sometimes, and announcements, um, little interaction. Feel free to leave feedback there and tell us how much you like the show, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it's a great place for fun to be had by all. So if you're on the Book of Faces, come and check us out at the the Coco Crew podcast. We have, of course, a podcast, so we're available through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Both were normal podcast downloading and that sort of stuff. We also have a, a standard RSS feed available at cocacrew.org if you want to point your normal podcast podcatcher uh, there and do it the, uh, the old-fashioned way, shall we say. We are also available for streaming, available through Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And the truth is, probably almost anything that's um, <laughs> a reputable distributor of podcasts these days, they kind of pick up from each other anyway. So I don't think you're having any trouble finding the, the Coco Crew podcast. Um, but if somehow you are, feel free to reach out and let me know where you're looking, and I'll see what I can do. One place I know you can find the Coco Crew podcast is, of course, on YouTube, where we've been taking our audio podcasts and doing a little processing of them to create a a video um, that uh, shows a, a few pictures of shown us, that sort of thing. The real benefit to the catching of the podcast on YouTube is that YouTube does pretty well um, adding subtitles. So if for some reason um, maybe English is your second language or maybe uh, maybe your hearing is not so good or, or maybe you just have trouble with our accents, then feel free <laughs> to check it on YouTube. We are a member of the Throwback Network. This is a listing of retro-themed podcasts, mostly centered around uh, 80s culture and technology, that sort of thing. If you're caught up with the Coco Crew podcast and are looking for other podcast uh, venues, I do recommend you check out the Throwback Network. Also, we're listed on the Game by Game podcast information hub. This is 
another list of retro theme podcasts, in this case centered around home computers and uh, early game consoles. Again, if you've caught up on the Coco Crew podcast and are looking for other podcast uh, entertainment, then we also recommend that you check out the Game by Game Podcast Information Hub. If you want to reach us via email, we do have a series of um, email addresses set up. First, you will reach all the hosts of the show. We've got uh, show, S-H-O-W, at cococrew.org. That's at sign, C-O-C-O-D-R-E-W dot O-R-G. We also have podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at cococrew.org. And feedback, F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, at cococrew.org. We also have, for uh, individual hosts, uh, we've got, um, well, we've got me, John, J-O-H-N, at cococrew.org. Got Neil, N-E-I-L, at cococrew.org. Mike, M-I-K-E, at cococrew.org. Um, and we'll go ahead and still list Boise, even though he's not here today. Uh, Boise, B-O-I-S-Y, at cococrew.org. We've got a little, couple of little announcements here. Uh, one on behalf of the Glenside Color Computer Club. They have been using for sometimes um, a blue jean teleconferencing software for conducting their club meetings. There's an announcement here where they've done some changes to their software. I think if you're using the web version of the software, you'll probably be fine. But if you've installed the desktop version of the software, you will have to do an update to a certain minimum version. Pretty standard stuff. Um, but just so you know, if for some reason you try to log into the Glenside meetings with blue jeans and you can't get on, you may want to run an update. All right, moving on. Previously, we announced the basic 10-line contest. It is now over. The results are available with basic 10-liners 2021. We've got a link in the show notes for the results. Not a, a ton of activity that's pertinent to this podcast, per se, but there are a couple of MC10 programs on there, Minds Plus, uh, also the AC Ducey. So there is some activity there. You may want to check it out, see what else happened there. It's kind of a cool thing to check out. Let's see. Oh, of course, ParserComp. Still announcing this. ParserComp is a competition for text-based games, which use the text input and output parser system as the primary way of controlling the game. The May and June, the submission window is open. Uh, July will be the voting window. August 1st, the results will be announced. Um, there's a link in the show notes there from uh, Steve Moretzky, who's a well-regarded um, implementer from uh, from the Infocom days. <laughs> uh, wishing everyone good luck on Parser Comp 2021, so feel free to entertain yourself by taking a look at that. All right, let's see, moving on. I'm seeing um, some of the upcoming shows uh, that are available Mostly in MeetSpace. Uh, <laughs> the first one, though, is still virtual this year. Kansas Fest 2021. That is happening July 23rd and 24th of 2021. Of course, it's an Apple II event. In this case, it is a virtual event. There's a link in the show notes. It'll give you a lot of information. You want to find out more about it, especially if you have an interest in Apple II stuff. It's a good event to tune into. So good luck and have fun. Let us know how it goes. Coming up, August 7th and 8th, 2021, we've got VCF West held at the Vintage Computer, I'm sorry, the Computer History Museum in um, Mountain View, California, hosted by the Vintage Computer Federation. 
Probably don't know this is still on, still a live event, real people, that sort of thing. I have no idea about mask requirements or anything else. But uh, if you're interested and you're on the West Coast of the United States, then this will be your thing to do. It says hours, Saturday, 9 to 6 Pacific time. There's the link for you to start if you want to find out more information about VCF West. August 20th through the 22nd, the Southern Fried Gaming Expo 2021. This will be held at the Waverly Hotel and Convention Center in Atlanta. It's the Renaissance Atlanta Waverly Hotel and Convention Center and the Cobb Galleria Convention Center, home to the 8th Annual Southern Fried Gaming Expo. So, sounds like a cool event. Atlanta has earned its place in the hearts of arcade pinball and tabletop enthusiasts with the Southern Fried Gaming Expo. I understand that um, VCF uh, Southeast is also supposed to be co-located with SFGE this year. I'm not seeing any information about that on their website. I've heard the uh, VCF Southeast uh, team mention that, though. So, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. (laughs) If that's important (laughs) to you, you may want to check deeper with another source, but that's what I've got. I hope that's the case. I'm planning to go, and it would be nice to do it in one trip. Definitely would be nice. I'm uh, leaning towards going myself, uh, so it could be a busy fall uh, starting in, in uh, August. <laughs> Pent-up demand, yeah. Yeah. That would be okay. Uh, let's see. Make up for lost time. <laughs> no doubt. All right, next on the, the uh, announcement list here, VCF Midwest 16, September 11th and 12th of 2021. This will be uh, held at Waterford Banquets in Elmhurst, Illinois. Their website is a little sparse. Sometimes they're a little, they kind of hold out a little bit late before uh, (laughs) updating information sometimes. It could be that things are still in flux. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, should be a cool event. Lots of various vintage computing stuff. Not all cocoa, but uh, that's usually pretty well represented given the, uh, the Chicago presence there with Glen Side or whatever. So that's a VCF Midwest 16, September 11th and 12th of 2021. All right. It's all been leading up to this. <laughs> October 1st through 3rd of 2021, Tandy Assembly. Yes. And this will be, be held in Springfield, Ohio. This will be the big, certainly big Tandy event. I think it'll be the big Cocoa event of the year, if you ask me. It'll be a cool event. Definitely uh, has some involvement with some really cool guys in the community. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely well-connected folks. Um, so we're hoping to have something nice to show, whatever. Um, we are looking for exhibitors and, and presenters. If you want to talk about your Cocoa hobby, hit us up. We're open to all sorts of ideas. If you want to present your project or share your techniques for retro writing or the best way to turn screws into the bottom of a cocoa case or whatever else you want to propose, uh, I'm sure we'd love to hear from you. So big event coming in October, October 1st through the 3rd of 2021, Springfield, Ohio. Be there or be Commodore. Yeah, we have uh, room rates and links to hotel reservations on the tandyassembly.com website as well. The next up in the link is, is um, VCF East 2021. The title says VCF East 2021 
rescheduled, but I think it's still, it was rescheduled when it got on the list this way, and it's just still, <laughs> still at the same place. It hasn't moved since last month. Um, so this is, um, VCF East will be October 8th, 9th, and 10th. Uh, that'll be at the InfoAge Science Center in Wall, New Jersey. Always been a good event. I've been there a couple of times. Definitely oh, good yeah. group of people. Very nice. Um, so if, if you're in the northeast part of the United States and you're around New York City, that sort of thing, definitely a good place to go and see some old computers and good time to be had by all. November 5th through 7th, 2021, going the Midwest Gaming Classic. It's been held in the Wisconsin Center on Wisconsin Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So I've not been to this event, but I have heard from Ron Klein in particular that this is a good event to go to, lots of cool gaming stuff and whatever. It certainly got some cool pictures, show a lot of arcade machines and that sort of stuff. And if you're in that uh, upper part of the Midwest there, definitely something for you to be put on your calendar and think about how to get to it. So that's November 5th through 7th, 2021. Unfortunately, it overlaps a bit. November 6th through 7th, 29th annual last Chicago Cooker Fest. Still not sure calling it annual and appropriate, but, you know, I'm not sure what the right word would be anyway. So <laughs> it's intended to be annual. It just wasn't last year. So this is Cocoa Fest put on by the Inside Club. Traditionally been the big event. Uh, in the Cocoa world. Been a popular event in the past. Should be a good event. Uh, I'm not sure what the rescheduling is going to do to it because we are talking about going to the Chicago area in November. <laughs> Which <laughs> does not sound like a great time to travel to Chicago for me. Not quite made up my mind of what I'm going to do or not. But some people will probably be there and it could be a good time. It could be a good event. So there you go. <laughs> That's the end of our announcements. Why don't we take another little break, and then we'll be back with some news. Remember when we used to play computer games with cheap plastic joysticks? How the fingers would ache for days. Put the past behind you. Introducing the Gamester. The Gamester is the ultimate two-button joystick controller for your color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000. The Gamester features a genuine arcade-quality joystick with two large arcade-quality cherry switch buttons on a single surface. Best of all, the hardware is mounted in a sturdy wooden cabinet. It sits comfortably on your lap or on your desk. Experience the difference that super high-quality, heavy-duty components make in your gameplay. No more finger fatigue. Responsive button switches. Sturdy components that can take the punishment of even the most enthusiastic player. Every Gamester is built to order. Choose the wood for your cabinet. Choose custom paint or stain and finishes. Select the cable length for your Gamester. Choose a left-handed configuration or add adapters for your Dragon computer. The Gamester is designed to last a lifetime. To build yours, simply reach out to Neil Blanchard by email. Neil at CocoCrew.org. That's N-E-I-L at C-O-C-O-C-R-E-W dot org. Experience genuine arcade controller action for all of your favorite color computer, Dragon, and Tandy 1000 computer games. For true arcade action, it's... The Gamester. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers. Now it's time for some news. First out of the gate, we've got, of course, something from Mr. Jim Gary, <laughs> hero of the MC-10. And uh, this is a YouTube video. Uh, I'm sorry, actually, the link is to a Facebook group that uh, then points to another video. 
Either way, I'm sure you'll find it. Um, so it's uh, AC Ducey. It says another David All classic now for the MC10. So basically he's implemented an old basic game, added some graphics uh, that represent um, the cards to whatever that you're playing. It looks pretty uh, typical for Jim Geary's work. It looks like it would be entertaining and uh, fun to play, something to do with your MC-10. What else can you say? <laughs> also, it did rank. It was listed in that 10 liners results, uh, so it's an award-winning game. <laughs> for Mr. Jim Geary. Very good, Jim. Yep, well done. Amazing. It's just 10 lines. Yeah, yeah. it is, definitely. Let's see, moving on. Uh, this next link is a uh, link into GitHub of uh, Mr. Doug Maston. Doug has linked us to a GitHub project called ZXO or ZX0 6X09. The ZX0 6X09 is a Motorola 6809 and Hitachi 6309 decompressor for the ZX0 data compression format. By I don't know how to pronounce the name E I N A R you know E I N A R Ener Ener Salkas something like that um, Ener if I mispronounce your name uh, Mr Salkas uh, Mrs Salkas well I know I don't recognize the name um, let us know <laughs> <laughs> anyway so ZX Zero provides a trade off between high compression ratio and extremely simple fast decompression. He's got a link. If you want to compress something, you'll have to use another tool from a linked um, GitHub repository. But then you can decompress it with the on the cocoa. So if you want to find a way to squeeze more graphics or more data, more sound, whatever, into your game, he's got some assembly code here that you could use. It'd be useful for a ROM program that was yeah. just a little too big. Definitely. Like I say, squeeze in some extra stuff. Looks like. Not sure which exact open source license this is, but it looks to be a reasonable open source license if you want to use the code. Anyway, something to think about if you got if you're writing something, especially if you're just barely crossing over a memory boundary somehow. Uh, this may be enough to save your save your bacon, so to speak. So very cool. Thanks for sharing, Doug. It's always good to see some of this sort of stuff. Speaking of tiny pieces of code to do weird things, <laughs> um, here comes Mr. Simon Jonathan. The mad coder. He says, um, here's the first of two entries I submitted at the Love Byte Size Coded Competition this, this past weekend. I don't know anything about that competition. Um, he says the category here was 256-byte old school. Um, and uh, so the, the code is showing... Came out of 237 bytes. Yeah, kind of uh, something that uh, chessboards or whatever kind of warps your brain a little bit to look at. He says, enjoy the mind warp. <laughs> <laughs> it is a cool effect. Uh, Definitely yeah. a cool effect. Very smooth. Yeah, yeah. looks great. Says it'll run on a Coco 1, 2, or 3, and Dragon 32, 64, and also various clones. So, yeah. Um, so pretty cool. Sounds like he's not doing anything too crazy if it'll run on all the various uh, <laughs> variations. Pretty cool. Thank you, Simon. Good to see that. All right, here we go. Here's one where it's like, well, John, did you lose your mind? We're not talking about that machine. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this comes from Philip Pepto Timmerman. <laughs> Does calculating the color palette of the VIC-2. 
The Vic Two. Hmm, what? What? That sounds Commodore. Yeah, it definitely is a Commodore chip. In fact, that's the video chip for the Commodore sixty four, if I'm not mistaken. But it's kind of a cool. He's got a cool write up on what he's doing and the the way he's doing these calculations. Basically, he's trying to figure out correct RGB values for the to simulate the video, the colors and the video output of the Commodore 64. In the process, he's talking a lot about how you d- decode colors and with, um, well, NTSC or PAL, they're both done similarly. Walks you through the math of doing all that sort of stuff. This is akin to the video I've talked about that I did with uh, the 8-bit color mode, calculating the palettes for that for the Cocoa 3. The same kind of problem, same kind of math. He may be doing something kind of different here. I noticed he was doing some gamma correction that was uh, done a little differently from how I was trying to handle it before. May lead some to more understanding for me, <laughs> so maybe it would help some understanding for you. Uh, or maybe not, but it's something to read. <laughs> so if that interests you at all, it may be something cool. If you want to know more about how video encodings worked back in the days um, before HDMI, <laughs> then uh, this might be a way to, to expand your knowledge of that. So check it out. All right, so the next, uh, the, the last one in this little grouping, Leo Brody, 4th 2020, Zoom 7 2021. It's, so it's a recording of a Zoom call with uh, someone named Mr. Leo Brody. It's like, well, who is that? Well, Leo Brody is the author of a couple of famous or seminal fourth books, particularly one called Starting Fourth, which is the intro to programming in the fourth language, and also Thinking Fourth, which is the follow-up to Starting Fourth, and so it goes a little deeper into programming in the fourth language. If you have an interest in learning fourth, you should consider reading both of those books. If you're already programming in fourth, then you probably already know who Leo Brody is, and he, you probably either... He's either your hero or, given how these things work with humans, he's either your hero or you hate him. (laughs) (laughs) There's no (laughs) in-between. But I don't know any reason to hate him because I'm not that deep into fourth. I do have both of those books. I've read them. They're pretty good, pretty well written. So if you have any interest in learning a little bit about fourth or some of the people involved with fourth, you want to go check out that video, uh, Leo Brody Fourth. It's uh, from... 4th, 2020 on YouTube. All right. Our next one is from Erico Patricio Montero, or sorry, Montiero, or is it Montero? I'm not sure. I'm mm-hmm. not up on my Spanish pronunciation there. Or, or I don't know if that's Spanish or, or Portuguese, actually, but he's kind of new on the scene. I've been seeing a lot of activity from, from him uh, doing this fighting game in particular. Yeah, uh, this one's titled, This is How You Exist and Move on This Game. And this is a Facebook link with a, a little video. And I'm guessing this is on a Coco, like a Coco 2 maybe. Um, couldn't be a Coco 3, I suppose. But Yeah, I think it's a, a Coco or maybe a CP400. Sure, sure. But uh, in any case, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, he's been working a fighting game. So he's trying to create graphics of jumping you know, leaping, crouching, moving forward and back. It's pretty impressive how fluid he has it and how the, you know, depending, you can mix, like going from a jump right to a crouch, that kind of thing. It handles that really well. 
just part of his uh, his development. So yeah, well, it was check always it out. interesting to see you know the, the that low res SG4 graphics. They really aren't. They really suck, right? <laughs> 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 but some people are, are you know maybe you can develop this talent, but you can get expression out of them if you kind of unwrap your mind a little bit and and kind of put the blocks on the screen and see what they look like, you know what I mean? And uh, he he seems to be one of the people who has that talent, so it's pretty cool to see. It looks smooth. Yes. Very smooth. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one is from Robert Clara at Adweek. After declaring bankruptcy twice, Radio Shack plots its comeback. <laughs> and uh, we've seems like we follow this story uh, every few months as it comes up, but... Uh, yeah. Yes, it's Radio Shack's uh, rights to Radio Shack has been acquired by a person who collects <laughs> bankrupt, defunct brands that are well recognized and uh, hopes to retool them and reintroduce them. Maybe not as a bunch of brick and mortar stores, but mm-hmm. uh, at least to use the brand and revive some of it. So definitely worth a read. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the story moves the ball much in terms of information. But, you know, just kind of still in the headlines a little bit. Maybe something will happen, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, this one's from Paul Shoemaker. I'm experimenting with an interesting way to animate an intro screen. This one is definitely cool to watch. He's basically come up with an effect that looks like static on the screen, where it's Mm -hmm. just kind of a random pattern, and as it subsides... Uh, an image emerges from it. Very cool effect to see on a Coco. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool to see these effects, and I don't know where they come from in some people's minds or whatever. But uh, like I said, it's nice to see people get out your Coco and experiment with it, um, you know, especially for somebody who has some idea of how to program in general. I do think the Coco is, is extra accessible for you know, just throwing stuff up there in, in a way that would be easier than trying to just throw something up there on your Windows 10 machine, yeah. <laughs> you know? Definitely. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's cool to see that. This next one is from Michael Klein. I finally got around to see if I can connect two computers via modems without a telephone line. Yes, you can. <laughs> so this is kind of cool. He's he's learned that you can take uh, the direct connect modem packs and, uh, you know, connect a phone line between the two of them and they will talk. They will pick up the carrier and work without having a a phone line involved. You can just uh, have one originate and one answer. You've got a a 300 bit uh, per second link. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This has been a few years ago, but Boise and I have Google voice interfaces to like you can connect an analog phone to. I've got an old rotary dial phone that works on <laughs> on uh, Google Voice. We were able to connect up our two Cocos using the modem pack over our uh, Google Voice over the internet. So, cool. that, uh, yeah, so it worked it worked pretty well. So check it out. Um, That's a fun one. I remember uh, a while back we we did that sort of thing in the hotel room, but we had your uh, your simulator. Telephone simulator. Yes, yes. Yeah. Did, did it both um, ways. Yeah, I suspect that probably works on a broader range of um, of hardware. 
Uh, I'm not sure every modem, just any old modem, will will be able to configure itself to work without an actual phone line. I could be wrong, but um, I think the you know you need to have the right settings available. Figure out what they are. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it would work with higher speed. No, oh, definitely not. But yeah. yeah, probably 12, 24. You might be able to get away with it on some of those models, but the other yeah, 300s are so simple, you could uh, definitely do that with most of them. Okay, this next set of, uh, well, we have several links. Uh, Brian Schubring, known as the music man in the Coco community, he has been doing MIDI with uh, Cocos for a long time. Um, he's pretty much a fixture at Coco Fest playing music. He's got synthesizers and things hooked up to the Coco and using Ultimuse, which is a, a, an OS9-based software for that you can enter sheet music and things into. And this series of videos, he's actually going into detail about Ultimuse. I believe that also runs on Linux now, and he might be using the Linux version in these videos. Not quite sure about that, but uh, if you're interested in one of the things that is really good as you can take sheet music and enter the data into Ultimuse, and it'll spit out MIDI data for for your MIDI-controlled uh, device or MIDI interface. And there are some still available on the color computer. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a couple. So uh, there and there are different packages out there, not only Ultimuse for uh, for MIDI, but this video series goes very deep into Ultimuse. So if you've been interested in it, definitely check these videos out and uh, see what uh, Brian has has done with it. Yeah. Uh, we don't usually see a lot of videos or output from Brian uh, Schubring. Um, you know, he's a fixture at Cocoa Fest, of course, but, um, yeah. he, you know, like I say, he normally doesn't put, produce a lot of this sort of content or whatever, and then all of a sudden <laughs> he produced <laughs> like 10 videos one right after the other. It's cool to see it from, from, uh, from his shoe. You might want to, you know, meter it out a little, <laughs> a little more slowly in the future, just so we uh, can can process it. But uh, yeah, cool, good to see it. And um, I, I, I've never really run Ultimuse. I've always thought it'd be a cool thing to pick up and play with, uh, especially mm -hmm. the Linux version. But um, hadn't done it. Need to. Could be cool. Yeah. Be fun to play with it. It's the one on your mind. It's a one of a kind. It's the color computer too. Get yours today. Up to 64K. It's the color computer too. TRS-80 color computers are better than ever. We've improved our most popular family of computers with a compact white case, low-profile electric typewriter quality keyboard, and prices that are less than last year's models. It expands easily with up to 64K of memory. The TRS-80 color computer is available only at Radio Shack. Get yours today. Up to 64K. It's the color computer too. Radio Shack, a Tandy company. If you're a fan of the TRS-80 color computer, then you won't want to miss Coco, the colorful history of Tandy's underdog computer from CRC Press. 
Follow the evolution of the color computer from the early beginnings of Project Green Thumb and Videotex terminals to the Coco 1, MC10, Coco 2, and Coco 3. Follow the rise of Rainbow Magazine, Microware, and the Coco community at large. Get the inside story from Tandy engineers, constantly challenged to reduce cost and increase capability. If you own a Coco, you should own this book. Coco, the colorful history of Tandy's underdog computer. Written by Boise Pete and Bill Lejudis. Available now at Amazon.com. Now we got one here from Ed Snyder, and he posted a YouTube video showing uh, the Gimme X that he has available now for sale, showing all the video outputs. There's actually five this thing could do at the same time. So it can uh, display VGA, your uh, 15 kilohertz RGB, composite, S-video, and the RF outputs. <laughs> so uh, it can basically do everything, uh, all the video modes on this at once. The other thing I'd like to add here with that I learned with the Gimme X is that you can actually run Farfall on your Coco 3 now. <laughs> so, does it work? It, it actually does work. If you want to play Farfall on your Coco 3, it's now kind of possible <laughs> with the Gimme X. All right, our uh, next news article is from uh, Michael Pitsley. Ever look at the Color Computer 3 manuals sample programs? Well, yes, I have actually, because that was the first book I ever used when I bought my Coco 3. <laughs> and um, I, I actually did type some of those in. So what he's uh, gone and done here, he's actually typed these in for us and saved it, but he's also looks like he's fixed the uh, the errors in the programs from the author. So that's that's pretty cool. Nice to have that. It's like, uh, like having Coco or like having Rainbow on disk, right? Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Save you some I'm time. Actually, I'm actually surprised it hasn't been done already. Like, I, you know, when, when I saw this come up, I, I was like, oh, this is – I just assumed it was done. You know, thanks for sharing that with us. The next news article is from Phil Antonio. Ready group right now? It's going. I'm not sure on that title. No, well, that's a machine that's a translation. translation from Portuguese, no doubt. So um, what they've done here is they it looks like they made a a, a CP400 slot expander. So that's this really is, cool. It's not quite an MPI. It's more like a wire cable, but. Right. Uh, so the CP400, for those that don't know or don't have one, uh, it has a slot on them that is electrically compatible with the co the slot on the Coco. So the Coco cartridge theoretically should work electrically and even physically in terms of the card itself. But once you wrap the plastic around it, that you would put put on it to um, to put in a Coco side slot. It's too big to fit in the slot on the ZB400. <laughs> and so then in this case, they've, got, they've put together this, um, they being the CP400 community, has put together this, essentially it's a wire cable, although it's, I think they've got in a little bit more of an enclosure or whatever. But um, so that way you can plug your Cocoa cartridges into your CP400. So pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that, nice. that is. And then there's a follow-up video here showing it running with a uh, looks like a super IDE and a, and a, a speech pack. Yeah, yeah, cool. that's that's awesome. And we just got to find ourselves a CP400 now. Well, I've got one. Oh, that's in the it's somewhere in the pile. Take it out. We're going to the assembly. I want to see one. Yeah. Yeah. Like a nice a nice display. Pretty cool. All right, the uh, next news article is from Kieran Anscombe. 
he got his 512K uh, Coco 3 board working. So there's another option here, it looks like, for a yeah. 512K upgrade for your Coco 3. Yeah, I think when it says on the board, it's designed by him. Um, yeah. Of course, he's a, a Dragon guy. He's in the UK. I don't know how many Coco 3s are floating around uh, in the UK. Right. I'm sure there's a few. So if you're in the UK with a Coco 3 that's not 512K or better, you may want to call Kieran and see if he can help you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Very totally. Cool. He's not actually selling completed ones, though, right? He's just supplying the like the Gerber files and things to make your own. I think that's the case, but uh... it looks yeah, it looks like that because he has the, mm-hmm. the yeah the, the Gerber file here and yeah. Well, maybe if you ask Kieran nicely, he'll make you one. <laughs> True. Tell you how you can <laughs> but, make it. Right. But uh, yeah, it looks like it gives you everything so that you can make your own. Looks like a lot of tedious uh, surface mount uh, soldering to me. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I saw that. <laughs> well, that's good work though. Uh, all right, our next uh, news article is from Jim McClellan. He added a print feature to MC Draw. So, <laughs> drawing program for the MC10 here. That's and cool. Now you can use your TP10 printer. <laughs> that looks really neat in that picture there. Uh, you can see uh, the, you can see the graphics on it. Looks awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think both of those are cool because he's got a draw program for the MC10 and the the TP10 printer. Yeah, pretty pretty yeah. cool combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go side by side. Very cool. Good cool. work, Jim. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Jim. All right. Well, moving along, the famed Coco developer from down under, <laughs> Mr. Nick Morantes has three more chapters of his development blog for his current project, Zero Hour. Chapter two is on the level design. He could show some of his, um, I don't know, prototyping or, or whatever for a couple of his levels. He talks a little bit about how the play will be, that sort of thing. I think he's purposely not gone into a lot of detail on some of the, you know, technicalities of coding and that sort of stuff. I think that's fine. It's just a little bit different flavor for some of his earlier gaming blogs. But um, Chapter 2 is on his level design. Chapter 3 talks some about his graphics engine. Then yeah, he's been sort of stating that it's going to have a special effect that would, no one's ever seen before or on the Coco. The special effect appears to be that he's got some animated backgrounds involving a big turning gears because it's kind of a factory setting. He describes the kind of the trick he's used. He's rendered the backgrounds uh, in multiple copies of, of his, at least parts of his backgrounds, that are uh, each rotated about 22 degrees. Cycle through them uh, since, uh, you know, since gears are round, you really only need to cover about 90 degrees of motion. So if, uh, assuming he means 22 and a half degrees, and, and then when four copies would be, you know, that'd be 90 degrees. <laughs> and then kind of replay them over and over again it'll since since gears are round it will look like they're continuing to rotate all the way around pretty clever trick looks nice and he's got a, a video preview you can see it working it's kind of new, kind of cool to see chapter four talks about using some of his sampled sounds for playback um, sound effects and that sort of stuff again not a lot of technical detail giving you the highlights to, to kind of keep you Interested in the game as it comes about. So check it out. Zero Hour Blogs, so Chapter 2, 3, and 4 from Nick Morantis. All right, let's see. Moving on from uh, Frederick Travancha. 
This is part three of my series on syncing online iCalendar or ICS files with a Cocoa. Got a little video here, I think demoing some of his uh, using his ICS files to sync up with a calendar in multi-view. So, I mean, pretty cool. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I don't know how practical this is. You're probably not doing a lot of practical or spend a lot of your your work day um, on your uh, OS9 machine, but. You know, if you are, if you set a reminder for something to do uh, on your Saturday afternoon and <laughs> you're playing with your cocoa, and you might have a, a calendar entry, a calendar alarm pop up and remind you, it'd be pretty cool. And if nothing else, it's just kind of cool to say, hey, we can do it, right? Sometimes you can actually make them work uh, even with a cocoa. So, very cool. Yeah, he keeps uh, developing it. So, keep going. That's pretty cool. <laughs> very neat. It's from someone named Scott Baker. I always wish my Raspberry Pi would have come with a 360K floppy drive. Well, that's a little tongue-in-cheek joke there, but basically, Mr. Baker, I guess, is a bit of a hardware uh, <laughs> person, and he's hacked together a, um, what do they call it, uh, shields, I guess, right, with a Raspberry Pi. Hacked together a shield that has a, um, a floppy controller on it. <laughs> and so he's accessing a, a floppy drive from uh, his uh, Raspberry Pi computer. Pretty cool. I mean, the Raspberry Pi is, uh, you know, the Swiss Army knife of modern-day hobby computers, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So oh, that's true. Might as well make good use of it, right? right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Nice it is see. cool. Somebody keeping the floppies alive, right? <laughs> and actually using a Western digital chip. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's cool. So, all right. Okay, so moving on. Um, this one, uh, this is from Darren Ottery. You know, I'm mostly seeing with the MC10 guy. I don't know if he's a totally MC10 guy or if he's also a, a regular Coca guy as well. Anyway, mostly I see, like I say, MC10 stuff. In this case, um He's got a game written for the MCX32 called uh, Dropship. He's uh, got a video here of playing Dropship on his MCX32 equipped MC10. So <laughs> we've been wondering about Dropship and whether it's worth uh, the the effort of getting the, the hardware together and such. Now's your chance to find out. You can see the, the video <laughs> playthrough. Very cool. Yeah, nice to see the playthrough after we got kind of a tease of a video from it. I think it's an interesting game. Well, number one, because it's on the MC10, but also because it mixes kind of the genres. You know, you've got a maze game element. You've got the shoot 'em up mm. element where you go outside of the ship and have to defend things. And then uh, besides the maze, there's, like, cards and things to pick up. And uh, there's a lot of strategy because you have to pick up energy. you got to balance all these things going on at once. So it looks like a pretty challenging game. And nice graphics. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Let's see, one more um, we've got uh, from Jim Gary. Close out with an exclamation point. Uh, compiled basic game. I've used Greg Dion's MC Basic compiler to make a version of the LLBS close out from Compute Magazine. This is a port of the game to the TRS-80 MC10 from the original Commodore VIC-20 source code. So, so the Greg Dion MC Basic compilers, we've talked about it on the past couple of episodes. So here's another example of being able to use it to do um, work on the MC10, get some compiled output, whatever. 
pretty cool. Looks like it works pretty well. All right, thank you, Jim, for sharing that one. And, of course, thank you, Greg, for making the compiler available. We have one from the Glenside Color Computer Club. Spring is here, and so is the latest issue of COCO123. That's the Glenside Color Computer Club's quarterly newsletter. If you're interested in it, uh, click on the link and download it and check it out. And they seem to have been getting um, more slash better contributions from the community the past few months, or a few, not episodes, a few issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how long that'll last. Um, hopefully a good long while, but, you know, we'll see. Anyway, it's kind of cool um, to get some participation and get some good content. Very good. Add the power of CPM to your color computer with Color Power 2. Just plug the Color Power 2 ROM pack into your 64K color computer 1 or 2. Connect your disk drive and composite monitor to the ROM pack. Insert our diskette and you now have access to thousands of CPM applications. Run WordStar, DBase 2, SuperCalc, MultiPlan, and thousands of other popular CPM titles. Color Power 2 displays clear 80 by 24 text on your composite monitor with true upper and lower case. On board is a powerful 4 MHz CADA microprocessor, and the Color Power 2 comes with its own power supply to keep your cocoa running cool. Color Power 2 with Digital Research CPM 2.2 is just $329. Absolutely no modifications to your color computer needed. The Color Power 2 from Color Power Unlimited Incorporated, New Providence, New Jersey. The Dragon Microcomputer was launched in the UK last year. Since then, we have developed a knowledge and mastery of the machine's capabilities. You can benefit from our experience by subscribing to Dragon User, which is expanding its coverage to include all US developments. Each issue of Dragon User contains reviews of the latest software, programming advice for beginners, hardware projects, program listings for games and utilities, reviews of Dragon peripherals, technical advisory service, programming articles for users. Dragon User is only $29.95 for 12 issues, airspeeded to US and Canada. Make the most of your new Dragon microcomputer with Dragon User, the international independent magazine for Dragon owners. Our next one is from Jerry Stratton. What are the 8-bits in 8-bit computing? Well, this, is, this is a really nice article. He's, he's analyzing, you know, reading the, uh, do you have to read the whole byte for, uh, specifically for the joystick buttons, going through the documentation. And he does a little analysis. Uh, it's definitely worth reading, finding out that, no, you really just need the, the lowest two bits to figure out the state of the uh, joystick buttons and talks about using some of the bitwise functions uh, and has some example code. So you could ignore most of the uh, bytes when you're uh, doing peaks and just look at the bits. So it's, it's a cool read. I, I would definitely recommend it. What's well, kind of cool, the description of how the AND and the OR work. And uh, that was one thing, you know, years after the COCO when I was learning C, it was a kind of a strange concept with the difference between bitwise ampersand and, uh, and vertical bar for OR, or the double ampersand and double vertical bar for the logical AND and OR. And then I th tried to map that back to what I thought had been on the, the COCO, which I thought were logical AND and OR. And then as he's sort of pointing out here, it's actually a bitwise AND and OR, just <laughs> the values aren't quite what you thought they were going to be. Um, so it's interesting. It also factors in somewhat, I think, with the, some of the discussions about 
wise, better to use um, if and if if blah then if blah then if instead of if blah and blah blah and blah blah in terms of being faster or slower. <laughs> anyway, if that if if that just sounded like gobbledygook to you, then you know don't worry about it. Uh, otherwise, you may want to dig into this one just to help you understand a little background in case you ever want to try to decipher what I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have one from Robert Sieg. The MC10 MCX32 high resolution graphic editor is available to download. So this is a cool graphic editor for the MC10. Mm-hmm. And it's good good to see these things being developed, but uh, he demonstrates doing a um, you know, kind of a zoom where you select, you have a little box that you can select a specific area and it will, you know, blow it up to a big size so that you can edit it in great detail, just a section of the screen and then zoom back out. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Take a look at it. <laughs> Very cool. And we have another one from Mr. Jim Gary. <laughs> MC Basics Medley. And this is kind of a video that's kind of a collection of some of his latest classics that uh, I'm not sure if this is the ones that he's put through the uh, compiler or not. But yeah, uh, I think it is. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's amazing how, the, you know, the speed improvements by uh, compiling it with that uh, basic compiler. So, yeah, definitely check that out. It's uh, it's pretty cool. And it looks like he's uh, wanting to put together another contest in conjunction with this, I believe, too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Anyway, very cool. Thank you, Jim. We have one from Walter Zimbody. I think this is my favorite one out of the whole group. <laughs> uh, me too, definitely, me too. Uh, as people that use awk probably on a daily basis. <laughs> right. Uh, just finished porting V732V version of Unix awk to Nitrous 9. So, yeah, awk <laughs> is a very, very cool tool slash programming language that if you, you work with Linux or Unix, you probably know it well. And uh, if, if you were, don't know it, you ought to. <laughs> yeah, you ought to. A very powerful tool. And uh, seeing that come to Nitrous 9 uh, is a joy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll have to grab that and uh, start playing with it. But uh, I was really glad to see this article as well. Uh, I know there's a 68K version of Awk. But it's always been one of those programs that's just been a little too big to fit on Nitrous 9. Um, But uh, he managed to do it. Looks like he had to jump through quite a few hoops to do it. But uh, it's cool to see the examples out there and uh, pretty exciting stuff. Definitely cool. It's uh, an underappreciated language, I think, especially outside of the Unix community. It's really powerful. It's built around uh, a pattern matching loop. And uh, you can do lots of cool stuff, and particularly if you want to translate formats of text files or, or process text files for to mine information out of them, that sort of thing. Anyway, it's uh, a lot of people are put off by it. I think the AWK sounds too much like awkward that people just assume it must be hard to use. <laughs> um, but it is a really cool language, and I'm definitely happy to see that one uh, living on in Nitrous 9. Yeah, thanks for that, Walter. That's that's awesome. Next up, we have one from Fabrizio Caruso. My little basic 10-liner game called Mines Plus for the TRS-80 MC-10 has obtained a second rank in the annual 10-liner competition. 
It looks uh, it looks really good here in the video he's got here. It's amazing that's running on ten lines of code. <laughs> that's the amazing part. Yeah, the yeah. ten liners are always amazing how much they can get done, how complex they can appear to be. Um, yeah. Cool. There's there's even a high score running there. <laughs> yeah. Like that that's that's cool. Yeah, good uh, good job there. And again, that's for the MC10. So we got a lot of MC10 love this uh, this month. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Good to see. All right, uh, next news article. I've uh, got a little Canadian content here for you. Uh, <laughs> from Sheldon McDonald. Uh, Treasure Island Defense has now started to roll out. So that was uh, a game I reviewed last month on the podcast here. And uh, he's now shipping some cartridges out. As I mentioned before, this this game supports the uh, the Color Computer 3 or Color Computer 2, or I guess 1, if you have the Coco VGA installed. Mm-hmm. And it uses the GMC. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I, I think he was surprised. He, he was originally planning, uh, I think, to make them for sale through eBay. And then he said, and if you don't want to go through eBay, you can send me a message. And I think he got so overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's just been trying to fill those orders, and that's why they haven't shown up on eBay. So that's pretty cool. Well, that's good. Yep. Yeah, and it's a great game, so they won't be uh, if anybody orders it, they won't be disappointed. All right, uh, next news article is from Jim Gary. <laughs> uh, thinking of having another arcade game contest, the prize of one of my Type In Mania mugs. Yeah, <laughs> those mugs are cool. Yeah, it looks neat. Nice, nice to get one at some point. <laughs> Look, Mom, no computer. And it's a YouTube video. Uh, this is this is pretty wacky. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know how you found this, John. <laughs> so it's a it's, it's a video of a DIY analog glow in the dark etch a sketch of an old XY plotter. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool. It yeah. is. Wondering if I could rig something like this up with the. My FP215. Yeah. Um, or... They cheated with a joystick, though, instead of the two knobs, you know, like we're used yeah. to. <laughs> right. <That's true. laughs> with a joystick true. with the – and he's got a laser on the plotter. That's It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's neat. Uh, pretty funny. With the tunes going with it, too. <laughs> Fun one. That's a great video. All right, the last one uh, is another YouTube video from Action Retro. I rebuilt the entire internet for vintage computers. Yeah. <laughs> this is pretty neat. So now you can use uh, older web browsers that can, uh, you know, display the pages properly. Which no one has really done. But if you if you were still holding on to the hope of implementing a, uh, a web browser on Nitrous 9 or, or this extended color basic or something, Mm-hmm. And hadn't been talked out of it by all the people saying, oh, well, the web's gone too far and you can't do anything without <laughs> without the security software and all that. Maybe this is your, your kind of your last chance. You could still do a you know simple HTML browser and right. use it through this. Um, <laughs> there you go. Pretty cool. So there's a, a project right there. Have you try any of this there, uh, Neil? The, I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it yet, but I, I I'm gonna give it a go because I have some old uh, older retro machines with uh, you know really old web browsers on them. Mm-hmm. I, I was unaware of that uh, search engine as well, so pretty cool. 
Yeah. So if you go to the search engine, does it set things up so that it automatically translates the, the web pages? Uh, that was the impression I got. That's the yeah. impression I, I got too. So it'll Same find, uh, you know, find things that are suitable to be displayed on an 8-bit computer. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Definitely well, a project yeah. I'm glad somebody else wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, that is our last news item for this month. Why don't we take another little break, and then we'll be back with uh, some feedback. Announcing the most advanced Color Computer 3 word processor ever, Window Writer from Owlware. It's the first word processor that takes full advantage of OS 9. The result is a word processor that is as modern and professional in action as those previously available only for IBM and Mac. Window Writer's point-and-click interface provides pull-down menus and detailed help screens that make it easy to use and easy to learn. Help is always just a click away. Window Writer allows multitasking with other programs, even itself. Open multiple instances of Window Writer, print from one instance, and continue editing in another. Cut and paste between instances of Window Writer. And you can customize everything, including colors and menu contents. Window Writer is just $59.95. For an additional $20, we'll include Dynaspell spell-checking software with a 102,000-word dictionary. Window Writer, cutting-edge software from Owlware. Merchtown, PA. If you sell color computers on eBay, you know that competition is fierce. So how can you differentiate your eBay listing and get top dollar for your items? It's easy with the New York Times Asset Tag System. These self-adhesive aluminum asset tags affix easily to any vintage computer item and instantly add value and provenance. Each attractive asset tag features the New York Times Eagle logo and a blank equipment number box. The Coco 2 usually sells for $70 on eBay, but with the addition of the New York Times asset tag, the exact same Coco 2 becomes a rare item and lists for $150. An original color computer analog joystick usually sells for $20 on eBay. But with the addition of the New York Times asset tag, the price instantly jumps to $80. Do you have mysterious, undocumented, or non-working cartridges just collecting dust? Turn those items into cash by attaching the New York Times asset tags. I put an NYT tag on an old Coco 2 and listed it on eBay with an undocumented, mysterious pack. Together, they're listed for $299. The New York Times asset tag system includes 15 self-adhesive blank asset tags and our 10-page booklet with tips for maximizing your eBay profits. Start making more money today. Here's how to get yours. Maximize your eBay sales with a New York Times asset system. Just $29.95. Call in the next 10 minutes and receive a second New York Times asset system for just an additional $10. Call 100-0100. That number again is 100-0100. Operators are standing by. All right, Coco Maniacs. Now we're back with some feedback. The first item we got feedback comes from Mr. L. Curtis Boyle. This is, a, I think, a compliment to the uh, the skills of Mr. Mike Rowan here. He says, I have to admit, I left way too much listening to Mike's Time Life mysterious silicon ad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike does definitely have some, some uh, moments of uh, creative uh, amazement or, or whatever. I'm not sure what the right term is, but 
does some pretty cool stuff uh, with his uh, with his spoofers and whatever. Definitely a, a highlight of the show. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mike, and thank you, Mr. Yep. Curtis Boyle. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, moving on. So this is a, next item is from uh, David Kroker, K-R-O-E-K-E-R, Kroker, one or the other, probably. So David says, um, you know, he's got to be talking about the text segment I did, talking about using Google Sheets to uh, simulate pixel art. And so he said, I've used Microsoft Excel for this as well. It sure beats using graph paper. Oh, that's certainly true. <laughs> so presumably Microsoft Excel has a similar feature for uh, coloring uh, the cells based on the data you put in them. It's a good use for some existing technology you probably already have access to. So whether it's Excel or, I mean, maybe you can do it with one, two, three for all I know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a cool thing to do. So have fun. Check it out. And thanks, David, for your feedback. And our final item, this is, comes from Ed Orbia. Orbia? Or, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, Ed. Is it Orby? Was it just Orby? Orby? I think it's Ed Orby. Okay, there you go. So B-E-A is just B, so Orby. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ed. Um Let's see. I followed the Retro Printing for Fun and Profit series and... I now have my Cocoa 3 printing to my HP Color LaserJet from RSDOS. So, again, that's uh, thanks to um, Mr. Mike Rowan and his uh, Retro Printing for Fun and Profit series. Definitely a cool way to make good use of uh, your retro hardware, both the Cocoa stuff and the non-Cocoa stuff. And then mix in a, a, a Raspberry Pi just for some modern bits, too. <laughs> Very good. And your modern printers, yeah. So uh, yeah. that's cool. Great, great that you watched it and that you actually did it. So uh, yeah, that, you can pretty much use that to work with any uh, you know new printer with uh, without a lot of effort. Thanks for the feedback, Ed. And uh, again, thank you, Mike, too, for that series. It's pretty cool. Yes. All right. Well, that's uh, that's probably enough for our feedback. So again, we'll take another little break, a little break, and then uh, we'll be back with uh, whatever's left of the show. <laughs> This month in Cocoa History. Welcome to This Month in Cocoa History, where we explore events in the life of our favorite home computer. I'm John Linville, standing in for Mr. Boise Pete, while he tends to matters of his own concern in the real world. This month, we reach back 35 years to the April 1986 edition of The Rainbow Magazine. There, in the Barden's Buffer column, starting on page 228, we find the well-known and prolific technical author and Rainbow contributing editor William Barden Jr. describing a scene in which a Cocoa owner shocks his Apple IIe and IBM PC owning friends by answering their sneers about his toy Cocoa with a humble brag about how his Cocoa was actually calculating pi to 10,000 digits. The author then leaves this fanciful scene to lead us on a brief description of the number known as pi, which of course is the ratio of the distance around a circle to its own diameter, and the history of attempts to calculate the exact decimal digits of this irrational number. 
Mr. Barden then spends about six pages of the magazine going in-depth on an algorithm for calculating pi and the implementation of a 6809 assembly language program that uses the given algorithm. As for the running time of this program, towards the end of the article, Mr. Barden estimates that, quote, it takes about three hours to generate and print 500 decimal digits and about 23 hours for a thousand digits. Later admitting that for 2,000 digits, quote, estimated completion time is 240 hours. Obviously, our Coco is no Cray. But could a Cray have been nearly so much fun for 14-year-old me 35 years ago in 1986? Probably not. And that's this month in Coco History. New from Saguaro Software, Eagle, an enhanced lunar landing simulation for the color computer. Eagle, you are go for orbital descent. Secondary guidance systems engaged. Break from orbit and use your skill to land safely on the surface. Dual joysticks control your craft's thrust and attitude. Your flight computer continually displays horizontal and vertical velocities, acceleration values, vertical and horizontal distances to the surface, fuel consumption, and more. At advanced levels, test your metal by injecting problems such as fuel leaks and display failures. Land and launch the upper stage back into orbit. We are go for liftoff. Eagle is as educational as it is fun. 32K color computer with two joysticks required. Eagle is just $24.95 on cassette or $29.95 on disc or AMDEC cartridge. Eagle from Saguaro Software. Welcome back, Coco Cruisers and Coco Maniacs. <laughs> now we're going to have a little discussion among the hosts. We've actually got a, a link here in front of the show notes to the original discussion uh, points as, um, from the Vintage Computer Club. This hobby has been my life for almost 40 years. It's starting to feel not fun anymore. Anyone relate? And so I think the root of his um, complaint is talking about... Um, Basically high prices. And so that's a, an issue we hear a lot these days, especially amongst the people that have been in and amongst the retro computing stuff for a long time. More people have come in, but which, of course, creates more demand. Basic economics says more demand, same supply, is going to mean higher prices. And it, it happens, right? And uh, I think most of us that have been around for any length of time have uh, either seen the prices go up or at the very least have uh, found the perfect, amazing, oh, my God, I never thought I'd see one of those again items on eBay only to get outbid in the last 20 seconds of the auction or <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> so these things happen. So for one, I guess there's the economic aspect or the, the getting outbid on things aspect um, of this basic uh, it's not feeling fun anymore, can you relate, and maybe that's worth some discussion. I think we could, if we're not careful, we could fall into just a woe is me, everybody's got more money <laughs> or whatever. I mean, people not only have more money, uh, you know, I usually don't get outbid on the basis of not being able to spend the money. It's more often that I get just, I, I didn't see it before. <laughs> Somebody else got it before I did. So 
you know, people having more enough time to browse all the auctions and bid on things as soon as they show up or whatever, that can be just as bad. Those are both kind of symptoms of the same thing is that, you know, we got involved in a hobby and then we built it out and made it viable and better and looked like we were having so much fun doing it that we lured in a bunch of other people to come and do the same hobby. And now, <laughs> now we're all competing over the same magical uh, rare items or whatever. So I'm not sure what to, to say about that. I mean, um, so basically you're saying it's a, a bigger version of the uh, Cocoa Fest auction? Well, I mean, it could be part <laughs> of it. All right. I think the Cocoa Fest auction the past few years have been not so much as too many people bidding as it not enough stuff going into the auction, but um, yeah, that's a whole different topic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not, well, I guess one symptom of that is, is yeah, the, the actual Cocoa stuff in the auction has dwindled. Because yeah. it's people are not as willing to donate it, and it's not as readily available as it once was because it's in high demand. So I think that's with any any kind of market, just just as you said, when the demand goes up, well, the supply looks limited and the price goes up, and that's that's what's happened. And uh, if you were too late to the game, you know, this is where you're at. You're gonna have to spend some money to get into this hobby now. Uh, if you were in it six years ago, you could probably go to got a van load of stuff for the price of two cocos now. <laughs> yeah. well, certainly, certainly ten or fifteen years ago, uh, but yeah, maybe. And but that's sort of a kind of what I was getting at. Uh, it's not entirely economic. As things change, aspects change. What's rare and what's not um, changes. So sometimes it's just that the hobby itself changes around you, not in unnatural ways not even in necessarily bad ways. There might be ways that bring even more people in. <laughs> but, you know, just because the hobby has the same name five or ten years later doesn't mean it's the same hobby, right? That's true. <laughs> Once again, we bring it back around to cars. I mean, so I went to high school uh, in the 80s, graduated in 1990. There was already... Uh, you know, the hunt was on for the muscle cars, the 60s era stuff, or for, you know, people my parents' age were buying them or whatever. And there were a lot of people my age that thought they were cool or whatever. And um, then over the next few years, I'm sure a lot of people my age bought some cool stuff. And I bought some cars that, um, well, they turned out to be junk. <laughs> but <laughs> partly because I'm not the best mechanic in the world anyway. But. I know Ron Klein is a car guy, and he's got uh, you know, at least a pretty nice-looking old Camaro. And uh, but I'll bet today, if I, I'm sure you can find a nice uh, old Camaro that's you know restored, and it costs you forty or fifty k, but you're probably not going to find many five thousand dollar '60s era Camaros that you could put ten weekends of of uh, wrench turning into, and then actually be able to drive it and be proud of it. Whereas in in 1985, you probably could do that, right? Things change, but it doesn't mean we're anymore. It just means maybe we have to love, <laughs> maybe you have to love a different kind of car or something, right? Or a different a different aspect of collecting the cars or or whatever. Not really sure where I'm going with this, other than just. Uh, well, um, well, no, it, it makes sense because I mean I like you know I I collect cars as well. And the ones I was collecting are the uh, 80s Hondas. That's what I'm into. 
mm-hmm. and they were cheap. And now those have, you know, started getting up around the 10,000 mark for, you know, a all original, low mileage. Sure. So they're they're creeping up, and it's it's kind of like, you know, what we've seen in the last 10 years with the Cocos. Kind of the same sort of thing. Yeah. So, and yet we've always, we've always had this kind of contradiction as well, that people would scream about it was too expensive to spend 30 or $40 for a cartridge game. Right. But somebody will come out with something that's a couple hundred bucks and they're, they're lining up to throw their money at it. So just, you know, uh, I guess it's just people's perception of things. Uh, And there are the, I guess you could call them spoilers, the people that really aren't part of the community that really don't know anything about it. Uh, You know, we make fun of the fact that it's been for like (laughs) probably like three or four years. We've seen that same Coco two with an unknown cartridge out there for 300 bucks. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) you know, and this is, this is definitely somebody that just says, Oh, this is probably rare. And, uh, you know, I'll put it out there. And I don't think you could quite call it profiteering, but there are people that are just, uh, that, that see things that, Oh, these things seem to be in demand. So I'll I'll throw it out there on Mm -hmm. eBay. Well, you also get, um, you seem to get, uh, I don't want to single anyone out, but you, you seem to get people who, it's almost like they're status buyers or something, status, but they want to buy their way into a, a cool status in the community. And so you get people who are completely new to the Coco community, people who didn't even know what a color computer was, and just suddenly it's like, oh, good, I found this Coco 3 for four hundred dollars, and it looks pretty good. And now, what do I do with it? Uh, can I still get the, the two meg upgrades? And you know, can I add this to it? Can I add that to it? Oh, oh I can get the, I can get the Gimme X and add eight meg to it. Oh, I'm going to do that. Oh, I can get the, one of those brand new mechanical keyboards. You know, whatever, whatever you can think of. Uh, and I can add this, and I can add that, and I can add that. And it's almost like the hobby is making sure you've got the, the, the highest end of the stuff, not <laughs> not actually playing with the cocoa part. You know what I mean? Right, um, right, right, yeah. So you see some of that pop up. And, again, I'm not trying to name anybody. I'm going to avoid that. But uh, <laughs> um, that is – and I'm not going to say that's illegitimate even. It's just it's different, right? It's almost – Right. That that almost seems like a nostalgia-free version of the cocoa hobby. You know what I mean? And um, I'm I'm a nostalgia-full kind of person, I guess. But (laughs) and it's a different aspect, or whatever. It's kind of like the case the case mod people that you know want to water cool it and right right put a bunch of marquee lights inside of it and little LED displays and stuff like that, and they enjoy you know, doing that. And, and yeah, there is a definitely a part of the community that's novelty driven as well. It's not so much what they're going to do with it because some of these products, nothing happens with it, right? It gets, it gets made and it can do some things, but we never see any software other than some demo stuff come out for it. Um, But, you know, people, people want to, want to have it. I've got nothing against novelty in terms of, you know, I'm, you know, I've got a an LED sign that I that I spent you know well as much as ten years building for <laughs> for my cocoa. Uh, it's pretty useless except to set up on my table at Cocoa Fest. <laughs> um, 
But, uh, you know, and I also, like, I've, I've got a, a set of electromechanical bells that I at one time had hooked up to my Coco so I could play music on, on bells. <laughs> it's, it's not good for much, um, but it's entertaining, and it's novel and whatever. Now, I can't imagine... I can't imagine how to productize that, um, but and if I did, I can't imagine people lining up to want to buy it. But um, maybe there are people who would want, you know, just to have the well, the, the really coolest uh, LED sign and bell playing uh, machines on the market or something. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess it comes down to once again. Different people have different aspects of the hobby that they want to enjoy. I'll get into trouble here and say that there certainly is another popular Cocoa show that runs on a weekly basis that uh, has a lot of people that don't agree with us on these kind of pronouncements or or, um, opinions. And that's fine. They're entitled to their opinions just like we're entitled to ours. If we all had the same opinions, we'd all have the same audience, I guess. Uh, And... (laughs) I'm pretty sure we don't. So, so, I don't know. I guess it's just one of those uh, make room for more uh, and hope that it stays that way. I mean, it's it's, it's the best kind of problem to have, right? It's it's like um, it's like people that have that live in towns that uh, they're always complaining about. They're they're always building a, a new a new chain store, or a new a new chain restaurant, or something like that. There's all these new people moving here all the time. I hate them. I hate them. But you know. If you've ever been to a town where there's nobody new moving in and no new stores and no new restaurants or whatever, those are not very fun places to be. <laughs> very, yeah, yeah, very pretty stale. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. so maybe that's it. Maybe uh, it's a, maybe this is just a, a high class problem. It's good to have. <laughs> well, um, you know, the other thing I would have had in there is that, you know, if you're coming in to the retro community, you know, in any retro community for that matter. And, you know, the prices are high. You don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money, though. The, the, the cool thing with retro computing that I have found, if you're not picky, um, you can get in cheap. You know, if you want to play around. Like, you know, say, for example, the Coco. I mean, grab a uh, Coco 1 or an MC10. Well, exactly. I mean, those, yeah, yeah, they're not that expensive. You know, I know the Coco 3s have gone up, but they're still, you know, you don't have to have all the latest and greatest like you mentioned. Yeah, Cocoa 2s are not unattainable, right? Cocoa 2s, yeah. Well, again, thinking back to the 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 car hobby, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, every once in a while you'll see periods of time where suddenly the um, the Chevy Chevette will be cool to collect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or a Ford Pinto or something like that, some terrible car that nobody ever wanted back in the day and not only will they they want to collect them they want to collect the ones that are that are lime green um (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know the four doors or whatever and then for a while that was a big thing for to have the um the the grocery getter where they'd hot rod a you know a station wagon or something you know so i mean there are other aspects like you say you pick up cocoa ones um you could um you know, get the coolest cassette player to hook to your Coco and only reload software over cassette. That'd be a cool variation of the hobby, right? Yep. Um, so maybe that's what um, a person uh, from the Vintage Computer Club asking a question. Maybe he just needs to find a different variation of the hobby 
And uh, if he's been in, if it's been part of his life for 40 years, he ought to know a few different versions of the hobby that could bring him some joy. So, <laughs> just to wrap it up, if you're feeling down, if you feel like uh, things in the in the community have changed, um, if it's still starting not to feel fun anymore, I'm going to avoid the cliche and say, well, if it's not feeling fun anymore, maybe it's because you're not fun anymore. Um, <laughs> so the cliche fun thing to say, right? But yeah. but maybe there's some truth in it. Maybe maybe part of the problem is that you are still trying to do the hobby the way that was fun for you 10 years ago, and maybe that part of the hobby just doesn't really exist anymore, or maybe there's just something else new to pursue because, you know, you're 5 or 10 years older and you need to, to have something different to, to turn the lights on for you. And um, maybe that's the way to go. <laughs> I think they need to build a marquee or a, a uh, you know, some bells <laughs> that play music. Yeah. That will probably a good thing to help. And, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're right, and, and in the end, it's ignore everybody. You don't, you know, you don't have to follow anyone else's opinion. Uh, just do what, do what makes you happy. Follow your bliss. Sometimes I've had the most fun in this hobby is when I was – you know, half angry at uh, some people or whatever and just totally said, well, you know, that's all right. I don't need to deal with them. I'm going to do this thing for me for a while and then enjoy that. <laughs> and right. That's, that's when Stella got a groove back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, we beat this one to death. All right. Well, why don't we uh, take another little break? And uh, if there's anything left of the show, it's coming now. Here's a color computer monitor bargain from your nearby Radio Shack. Save $50 on our exclusive Tandy CM8 RGB analog color monitor. Only $249.95 during this sale. It's designed specifically for the Color Computer 3. It's a perfect complement to the superb graphics capabilities of the Color Computer 3 and produces sharp, crisp text and dazzling graphs and illustrations. The sale price Tandy CM8 color monitor. Only at Radio Shack. A Tandy Company. Are you tired of blindly reaching behind your cocoa just to find the reset or power buttons? Can you even tell when your cocoa is powered on? Avoid the risk of life-threatening electrical shocks and painful lacerations that lurk behind your computer. With reset power switches from Morton Bay Software. Move the power switch and reset switch where they belong on the front side of your cocoa. The included LED will tell you when your cocoa is powered on. Made from only the highest quality components, Coco 1, D, and E boards and Coco 2s feature totally solderless installation. Coco 1F boards require some soldering. The Coco 1 kit is just $24.95. The Coco 2 kit is just $27.95. End the agony of guessing where those buttons are. Order your reset power switches today. Morton Bay Software, Division of Morton Bay Laboratory, Santa Barbara, California. Okay, Coco Cruisers and Coco Maniacs. <laughs> it's time once again for uh, a little te technical segment here on the Coco Crew Podcast. I, of course, am John Linville, and uh, I'll be your, uh, your guide through this little <laughs> adventure. <laughs> All right, so what's our topic today? Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, well, keeping uh, quote-unquote real time uh, in color basic. So um, when you're pro writing different kinds of programs, many types of programs have some need to time events. 
Um, I'm talking the actual time, you know, like on the on the wall clock. Uh, this could be some types of games. It could be something to do with human interaction, possibly a game involving human interaction. Um, lots of stuff, um, especially things involving humans. You might have a timeout feature as part of your application where you wait for somebody to do something. If they don't, after five seconds, you move on, something like that. And, of course, it could just be the nature of the app uh, that you're writing. The uh, It could be you're writing an egg timer <laughs> or something else that needs to operate uh, in a way where it waits a certain amount of time and, and then it moves on. So, anyway, so how, how do we do this? How have we normally done this? Or have we done this all for years? Um, so you'll find many examples of basic programs, um, this particular generic basic programs, that do this sort of timing with uh, what's called an empty for loop. And so, just as an example, you have something like you know, you know line ten will be a four i equals one to ten thousand, and then line twenty will be next i. Nothing in between, just you know, just an empty loop, and it takes some amount of time for the computer to go through and, and do that processing to count uh, up from 1 to 10,000 and each time it increments it and it has to uh, well store it and then evaluate it see if it's 10,000 or not. It, it's, so it takes a certain amount of time even though it's not technically doing anything in between right and <laughs> nothing too useful. So um, this works reasonably well uh, for especially for simple purposes you just want to slow something down a little bit uh, in your game or, or, or if you just want to wait a little bit of time make a loop run, run a little bit longer that sort of thing um, and you know it, it appeals to beginners um, because it's it's really simple to understand what it's doing or not doing <laughs> I just explained it right it just it takes a little bit of processing to, to walk through the loop and so even though there's nothing in between in the middle of the loop you still have to do the stuff at, at each end of the loop and so people can wrap their heads around it pretty pretty easily um, yeah, it requires a certain amount of usually some amount of experimentation or some amount of maybe expertise if you've been or experience if you've been using uh, this kind of looping you might already have a good feel for how long 10,000 is versus 2,000 or 20,000 or whatever um, but, you know, if not, you can experiment fairly easily and, uh, and figure out what number to put in there to make the loop last about how long you want it to last. Um, that could vary the number um, it, it, between, well, if you're trying to run a program to on different machines uh, or different dialects of BASIC, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a pedantic concern because, you know, you know, our Cocos are pretty much what they were 30 years ago, <laughs> so it's not like you're going to get the new Coco 2000 and all your loops are going to run too fast. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, the, I'm going to give you another option for timing that um, is only, well, as far as I know, only really exists in Color Basic or Extended Color Basic. So the fact that uh, you might have to change something to run on a different computer it's not going to help with that <laughs> but anyway it's sort of a there's a better way and, and it at least appeals a little more to, to to good programming sense shall we say so 
Uh, Extended Color Basic offers uh, a what it calls a timer. Um, it calls it a function. It's a little different from most of the other functions. Um, it's, it's in the function table or whatever that is processed a lot like a function, but unlike most other functions, you don't pass it any arguments, so there's no parentheses. Uh, you can just sort of evaluate it, so like make an assignment, so like t equals timer, then t will have a number in it. Um, anyway, so uh, internally, Extended Color Basic has set up an interrupt handler, and it's driven by interrupts that come, uh, correspond to the VSync coming from the 6847. So this is going to fire um, approximately 60 times per second. Uh, at least on NTSC. Uh, I'm guessing on PAL it's going to be 50 times per second, but uh, I don't have a machine handy to, uh, uh, <laughs> to test that. But So it could be, if you're writing your program to run on a PAL machine, you, you probably want to substitute 50 anytime I, you hear me say 60 for the rest of this uh, little talk. Um, Alright, so... So extended color basic, it has a counter um, that it maintains. It sets it to zero at boot up time, and then every time it gets uh, the VSync interrupt, it bumps the counter by one. So again, it fires approximately 60 times a second, and it, it will just keep counting. It'll eventually roll over once it gets to to 65535. It'll go to zero. So um, your timer um, span uh, is a, a little more than 18 minutes. Uh, do the math. I'm sure you can figure that out. But um, anyway, it's pretty pretty easy to use. You can you can always get the count from timer just with an assignment. So like B equals timer. Um, and you can set it so you can um, you want to start from a, a fresh value on timer you can just say timer equals zero which is probably a pretty good way uh, to use anytime you want to use it so again it's pretty easy to use you reset the timer value so like line 10 timer equals zero and then uh, then you check for the timeout based on 60 counts per second so line 20 so you say like if timer that's all that's t-i-m-e-r so uh, all caps of course um but uh so if timer is greater than five times 60 then print five seconds elapsed so it's you know it's really 300 so five times 60 um but those, it, it, those every 60 of those counts is going to be approximately a second so pretty simple to use if you want to time out something you can Check a timer value, uh, set it to zero and, st and start checking. If your timer value gets bigger than however long you want to wait, then stop waiting. Um, and of course, you need to use in keys instead of input on something like that. <laughs> but, or, or, you know, you're checking for a joystick button press or something like that. Uh, anyway, you, by using the timer value, you can be you have a pretty good idea, pretty good idea how long it's going to take. The minute you write it, and you don't have to guess a, a number for an empty for loop. Um, so, so caveats using this. So, timer only gets updates when the interrupts are enabled. And so, if you run an assembly language program that goes off and disables interrupts, then timer is not going to do anything for you at least until you turn them back on. Uh, also, similarly, a timer is paused during. Um, cassette or printer operation uh, because 
Um, basically, the interrupts are turned off, and, and the, the extended color basic code is doing kind of its own thing at that point. So, uh, you, you can't really count on timer being updated properly when that's happening. And the biggest one, uh, so the 60 counts per second, is a, a simple approximation. It's really um, something like, averages out to like 59.97, <laughs> something like that, counts per second. Uh, and so, um, the... Um, there's some error just in that, and and the errors will build up quickly. And like I said, if if you if you need a timeout that goes past 18 minutes, uh, you're gonna have to account for that rollover. It's not entirely sky free, but if you do want to um, put in a, a kind of small delay of a fairly fixed number of seconds or whatever, it's a pretty easy way to do it. Um, and so the benefits is so your event timing becomes more accurate or predictable. Um, if you um, theoretically, if you had a, a, a uh, say a CPU upgrade, if you were running your 6309 in native mode or something like that, um, well, that particular probably shouldn't change it much, but <laughs> it depends on what you're doing. But if you did have an, a CPU upgrade or something else in your system. That affected how the the uh, timer interrupts are, are generated. Um, then it could mess with your timer value, so it's not entirely foolproof. I guess is what I'm saying. So it's kind of a year mileage may vary. But um, yeah, so it's a pretty cool way to write some code and deal with you know very very granular, uh, but a real time like wall clock time uh, delays in your programs. And uh, you don't need a real-time clock. <laughs> no RTC needed. So, well, there you go. That's about all i got to say on this. But um, it's a cool feature as part of Extended Color Basic. Uh, I don't believe it's part of non-Extended Color Basic. And I really don't, I don't know off the top of my head if it's part of the MC10 or not. Um, so that's probably worth uh, research left for the reader. Uh, worth looking into if you're writing MC10 programs. Um... But yeah, so there's a there's another tool for your toolbox. Hopefully that's helpful and useful and interesting. So feel free to send some feedback to, of course, feedback at cocoacrew.org uh, and uh, let me know if I've said something wrong or left something out or if you just have questions. I'd love to hear from you. Okay, all right, well, happy Cocoa and Cocoa Forever and Cocoa Maniacs. And well, disengage now. <laughs> All right, thanks. Bye. Let's face it, you need a computer, the Tandy Color Computer 3. Superb graphics resolution and uncompromising performance at an incredible price. The Color Computer 3, choose from a palette of 64 brilliant colors. Produce sharp, crisp graphs and illustrations. Display 32 by 16, 40 by 24, or 80 by 24 text. Resolution of 160 by 192, 320 by 192, 640 by 192. Use with a high-resolution monitor or your own TV. Expands easily as skills and needs grow. Call now and we'll send you the Tandy Color Computer 3 for just six easy payments of Here's how to order. To order, call 1-800-6809. Remember, you'll get the amazing Tandy Color Computer 3 for just six easy payments of $39.95, plus processing and handling. Call 1-800-6809. Welcome back to Neil's Corner on Episode 71 of the Coco Crew Podcast. This month, I'm going to review something old for a change. We've been on a roll reviewing new games lately, which, don't get me wrong, 
is a great problem to have. But for this segment, I'm going to kick it old school and take you back to 1982. The game in question is called Double Back. It was coded back in 1982 by Dale Lear and licensed to Tandy for sale in Radio Shack stores on a ROM cartridge. It requires a whopping 4K of memory, which means this game will run on any Kogo. It does, however, require an analog joystick. The neat thing, because it uses analog sticks, you can vary your speed and length of your line on both axes. Now, unfortunately, any of you Gamester fans will have to dig out your original Radio Shack joysticks for this one. What inspired me to review this particular game is up until two weeks ago, I had never played it before. I've heard of it, but never played it. I never owned this game back in the day. I was lucky enough to obtain a copy of this game cartridge in a Coco lot I had picked up. I was testing on a Coco 2 a couple weeks ago, and I just randomly picked this cartridge out to test the Coco with. I was instantly hooked and played it for quite some time, always trying to beat my high score. Double Back is an original game. Objects will appear on the screen, such as a cherry, and you have to enclose it with a line you draw. Once the object is enclosed, it'll disappear and flash the score points you received for that particular object. All objects you want to enclose, except skulls, they cannot be eliminated from the screen, which makes it tough to draw around them as there can be multiple skulls on the screen at once. Some objects are stationary and do not move around, some can only move on one axis, and others can move around in all directions, and at variable speeds, making it even harder to enclose them. I've noticed objects that can move will always move towards you. A fun trick to getting high scores in this game is to try and circle as many objects at once. The more objects you enclose at once, you'll receive bonus points. A couple of tidbits I'd like to add. When I was mentioning to John I'll be reviewing Double Back this month, he mentioned Atari had a game come out also in 1982 called Quantum. It was a vector arcade game with the same object as Double Back. Apparently Dale Lear was not aware of this Quantum Atari game at the time, and nothing was copied from one another, making it extra cool and kind of creepy if this is the case. Two of the same game concepts at once. Sadly, Dale put on his wings a few years back. He had a flight book for Coco Fest, but couldn't attend. Luckily, with the Coco resurgence, a lot of us got to chat and get to know him on the Coco Facebook group. Dale will never be forgotten. Well, to wrap things up, give Double Back a try if you haven't already played it. And if you have in the past, give it another load. It is super easy to learn, and most importantly, fun. It always amazes me that the simplest games can be the most entertaining. This is definitely why I enjoy retro gaming so much. Until next month, happy Coco Gaming and Retro Forever. Since 1994, Cloud9 has made cool stuff for your color computer. Now Cloud9 is proud to announce the 2MB Triad Plus Memory Expansion Board. The Triad Plus works in two ways. Purchase just the Triad Plus board to expand your color computer 3 from 128K to 512K of RAM. Or add the new Protector Plus MMU to access the full 2 megabytes of static RAM aboard the Triad Plus. And the Protector Plus MMU utilizes full buffering to protect your CPU. Unlike previous 2 megabyte memory expansions for the Coco 3, the Triad Plus operates seamlessly without the need for special patches, configuration, or workarounds. Games like Donkey Kong Remix and Sierra Adventure games simply work without hassle. And the Triad Plus will reduce your Coco's power consumption and heat generation. The Triad Plus and Protector Plus MMU, only from the innovative engineering of Cloud9. Cool stuff for your color computer. Visit cloud9tech.com for details. Well, there you have it. We have reached the end of the podcast. And what have we learned this month? That the Coco is the best retro computer ever? Uh, I think we already knew that. All right, all joking aside, I truly believe it is one of the best hobbyist computers 
just by how accessible it is to program, as the expression goes, out of the box. As per usual, I'd like to thank our host, John Linville, for procuring all the news articles each month and providing us with fantastic tech segments. This month he was doing double duty by playing an historian and filling in for Boise's segment. Also, I'd like to thank Mike Rowan for painstakingly editing the podcast and creating those super fun commercials. It amazes me how creative he is coming up with them each month. Last but not least, a huge thanks to all of you who listen and support us every month. We really do like hearing from you and appreciate your feedback. Well, until next month, happy cocoing and retro forever. It's a blast from the past. Please listen carefully. Coco. Like there's no tomorrow. What is this crazy rock and roll music anyway? It's a blast from the past. <laughs>